This is episode 110 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. And my name is Eli. Welcome back to the 110th. You know, Andrew, today's topic really, it's kind of like an onomatopoeia. That's not what I'm looking for. A syllogism, <laughs> a, oh, a schenectady, yes. a, the thing where the thing is the thing is it's, it's referring to itself like, uh, skip that. Speaking of 110th episode, today's episode <laughs> is about long life in the Caucasus. Yes. Gerontology. Yeah, uh, back oh, to man. our topic on gerontology. Eli, I have to say, I'm, I know I often preface introducing a guest or a topic through how excited I am. But yeah, you do. I am genuinely excited <laughs> at another level about this episode today. You know, guys, it takes a special kind of guy <laughs> to get genuinely excited about old age. Oh, well, man. before we get to old age and your genuine excitement, which I share, there is something else that uh, to me goes beyond genuinely excited to, uh, I think, elated maybe or just thrilled. So uh, this you can cut this our news minute. This is our uh, to our to our faithful listeners who may wonder how either Andrew or I could be in any way impressed by a, a greater. <laughs> climbs of greater greater heights of fame, <laughs> of which there are very few left to us. Uh, but we had a faithful listener. Oh my goodness. She wrote in with some truly stellar news, Andrew. The, the title of the email was Unexpected Finding. And I got really excited, of course. And that, I mean, to me, that's like an understatement. This is like an historical moment. So uh, let me just back up. When we, when my family became interested in the North Caucasus, we got a hold of one of these youth, kind of youth library reference books, thin, big, hardcover, that- Pictures. You know, yes, tells about a people or a place. You know, it'd be like Italy, and it goes through, in, in, you know, it's 50 pages or something. And this one was Dagestan, right. and it's got a guy in the front, and what do they eat in Dagestan? What do they wear? And, you know, very- approachable. And for me, I was like, this is good stuff. So we have this Which book. probably, honestly, I mean, at that time was probably one of the only publications of that kind in well, the world, right? And in, in the English language. Very, very possibly. I mean, certainly at that level. So she sends us a photo of the next edition of that book, which she was looking at in the library. Okay. And it's called Cultures of the World is the series. And the next photo is flipped to the back of the book for the yes. for further reading or future further references section. And they, they're in print, in ink, is podcasts, and there's just one. It's Caucus Talk. It's in amazing. a book. We made it into a book. I, it really is incredible because, I mean, this, this book is probably the primary, maybe the only book in the West <laughs> targeted towards like younger people about Dagestan. We do not know the authors and the editors. No personal connection. There's this no kind key. of a, what's, what's the word uh, where favoritism, what, what do you call nepotism? that? Nepotism? Uh, yeah. No kind of nepotism involved here. Yeah, this is um, true. I mean, if you look 
Eli, we've got a link to the show notes, this book, maybe even link the picture that was sent to us. Totally. Where you, where you can see the, the for further information. It's just but thrilling. Yeah, we, we didn't know. The, the publisher is Cavendish Square. It's the third edition of the book. Um, never heard from at any point. Uh, I mean, this person must be a listener. Somebody must be a listener on that editing and publishing team. You would hope so, because if um, some higher up turns on our podcast, and they're like, what the heck did you put in the back of the book? <laughs> I have a couple shout outs here. Uh, first of all, to Cavendish Square, the the publishers, uh, the publishing house. And then um, we take uh, checks, um, money orders <laughs> and uh, crypto. So uh, yeah, any of it's fine. <laughs> Caucus talk crypto. Oh man. <laughs> We're start our um, own currency right now. Yeah. Second shout out to the public library system of the state of Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying you know, this book. If those guys had a dime for every shout out they got, you know, <laughs> Hey, support the public library in Indiana. I'm okay? all about supporting them. In fact, we support or are supported by, I think, three different public library systems living overseas. <laughs> uh, we won't mention who. And But yes, Indiana, holding it down. Yeah, so awesome. So anyways, Eli, somehow either one of these screenshots we were sent or a link to this book or something, I posted it really excitedly on our Facebook page. and Zero. I think I got zero likes and no comments. I, do you know, I emailed my family and like my brother-in-law wrote me back, which is great. But I'm like, guys, this is like more famous than every, any of you ever aspired to be. Oh, oh man. We're just. So anyways. Yeah, to the, yeah, through the roof, to was, the moon. It was cathartic to talk about this today, Eli. So then. Um, that pretty much secures us in sort of the annals of history and like legitimacy forever. I mean, <laughs> like we've sort of arrived. Um, but that's that's my segue to our actual topic, which is long life in the North Cognitive. So the, we've we've brought this up before. We mentioned um, a book on this that I, a friend had given me, "How to Live to Be a Hundred by yeah. Sula Bennett. Mm-hmm. A very entertaining and colorful read. But Andrew, you have done some serious research on this topic. We have a lot of great stuff to look at today. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, we very recently released an episode about, I think we called it retirement in the North Caucasus, but just about uh, what life is like for um, the elderly or the older generation in the North Caucasus. And, you know, that really was a fascinating uh, discussion. We got a lot of great feedback from listeners kind of comparing just our experience in the West to the North Caucasus. I would say this is kind of like part two because there's a lot of kind of characteristics of why people live so long in the Caucasus that piggybacks off of that episode. Right. Um, yeah, so let's jump right in. Um, why don't we do a quick, I'm going to give a quick out overview, Eli, and then we're going to dive into the details of each, each point of our uh, discussion today. Okay. Great. Um, the, the first point is, you know, we've often in the Caucasus, you will hear what can come across as like outlandish or overly exaggerated stories or what have you, <clears throat> but claims. Yeah. And that, that definitely falls into this kind of area of study talking about long life, but 
it's generally accepted around the world and in the scientific community that the Caucasus is one of, if not the place in the world where people live the longest, the most consistently. I think that's so. That's really cool. I didn't. I didn't know that. One one researcher actually referred to the North Caucasus as a mecca of super longevity. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're gonna look into you know what are some of the fact based, data driven uh, reasons we see for why people live a long long time, um, and then there are some. Essentially, I'm not sure how to describe it. It's kind of like secrets. <laughs> secrets you can you know that's what people are always saying what's the secret but uh, i don't know if it's like the cause or the effect but or at essentially least correlation com- correlations you see these common things uh yeah. characteristics among those who live a long time and so you can draw and, conclusions based on that. and the trick is going to be and i'm sure the trick in this whole field is that you know the adage correlation is not necessarily causation so just because the things line up, well, we'll see some good examples of that, even in, um, you know, corporate marketing and commercials, because it's just so good. All right. So good. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's start kind of big picture. Um, there's been a lot of research done on the Caucasus region uh, about why people live so long. And this dates back uh, to the 1950s, the actual research piece. Um, the first ever scientific um, kind of expedition uh, was in 1957 in North Ossetia. And then there's, um, from the 60s and the 70s, there's, there were academic kind of teams and research done uh, from the region. So, now, who, uh, who launches an expedition of old age into North Ossetia? Uh, this was done uh, in the Soviet Union, so yeah, it was okay. like a so- Soviet team of scholars. And then uh, I also read about a team from Georgia, the country of Georgia, that did research. And then in in recent decades, it's there's been a lot more interest. I mean, even if you Google that, like long life or longevity in the Caucasus, the first page of Google, the top results are all articles and videos done in the last five years. I mean, it's pretty recent. Oh, wow. Yeah, so even it's, like it's, it's trending, we could say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there has been a lot of good research done. Now that being said, um, I gotta I gotta read you this quote. This is so fascinating. Um, I this is from an article I read about this, and it's just kind of building the basket for you have to corroborate right. things. It says. There's a reason that, until recently, the Guinness Book of World Records introduced a section on longevity with the warning, no single subject is more obscured by vanity, deceit, falsehood, and deliberate fraud than the extremes (laughs) of human longevity. Currently, the longest fully documented and irrefutably authenticated age ever reached by a human being is 122 by a French woman. So... I mean, think about how out of their way Guinness World Book of Records went to... Totally. (laughs) Well, they want to stay reputable, you know what I mean? And it's sort of like Ripley's Believe It or Not sideshow if if you start just putting up... I mean, we've we've heard this on multiple fronts in the caucuses. You know, we've had people write in in response to um, some of our interviews saying, okay, the claims about that language or that grammar are not necessarily accurate or so on and so forth. 
we're not arbitrating arbitrating that, but that's totally like a understandable uh, disclaimer. We give the same disclaimer, by the way. Actually, we do know the secret, but we will only post that on our <laughs> to our Patreon supporters. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky six! That's um, right. Who the shall Ocean live six. into perpetuity <laughs> along with us and our book? Um, interestingly. One reason uh, Guinness, I think, eventually put that disclaimer in, there was in, I think it was the 1960s or 70s, the Soviet Union made a huge deal. They said the person, the longest living person in the world was 168 uh, in the Caucasus. Oh, um, man. And uh, National Geographic and the Guinness World Book of Records actually published that. And they they took a lot of flack because basically they just felt like the evidence to corroborate it wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and uh, even right now in Assetia, there is a um, there's a monument. It's a small monument to a person who was said to have lived 168 years. Yeah. Um, when you wrote that in the notes, it was from what 1746 to like 19 something. It was this, you 1913, know, 1913. Yeah. 1913. This is span of years that does not make sense when you look at when it hits your eyes on paper to refer to a human. You know, it's like what the what? Right. So, um, on the one hand, you have kind of these legends, and it's it's hard to. Um, they, they sound so absurd to our Western minds that it's hard to kind of wrap your, your mind around it. And yeah. what, one thing I learned was the documentation from before the 20th century is just really weak as far sure. as birth dates, um, keeping that stuff recorded, still having the records today, sometimes got stuff got destroyed, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, it really is hard to corroborate it based more based on more than word of mouth. Um, but that being said, Still today in the world, proportionally, the Caucasus has the most people over 100 years old in the world today. Uh, so, like per capita, basically. Per, per capita, yeah. So even though, wow. you know, if if you can't like corroborate some of these outliers, sure. the, the general body of work is really solid based on how many people over 100 are still living today. Um, yeah, so that's wow. really neat. There's... There's a couple things from inside the culture itself that helps you understand how like revered this is and even not just revered, but that it was just expected people would live a long way. Uh, I yeah. found out from a documentary that there are words in the Balkar language for a person who turns 100 and a person who could turn 150. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And I really think that that's, an important kind of evidence because it's not exactly a, it's a, it's a certain kind of evidence uh, or corroboration that the category exists, you know, tells you something about yes, the possibility right. existing or the expectation. <clears throat> it's like, it's very much like Bilbo Baggins and his 111th birthday. Um, I mean, that tells you that hobbits <laughs> regularly live to 111 because, they, I mean, it's exactly that. That's probably actually where the Balkars got it. <laughs> Sorry. No, but, I mean, these are, these are ancient languages and cultures. So the fact that those words are there, um, uh, one, one thing that um, a scholar said was, you know, the fact that this monument is here on the side of the road, it's a main <laughs> road in the wow. mountains. Wow. 
it shows that old age is revered and valued in the North Caucasus. And and it's not just uh, to get in the Guinness Book of World Records, in other words. Right. It's not like a fabricated thing, you know, that popped up in the era of social media or something. Yeah. um, And we're... Kind of when we look at you know what do you whether you want to call the secrets or the keys or or the causes or whatever that kind of the the value of it is an important one we're going to talk about. So interesting. And then the last mean, one, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, <laughs> this one is so funny. Uh, I found out that in the 1970s, Dan oh. and Yogurt in the U.S. they ran an entire commercial. Uh, based on people from uh, Georgia slash Abhazia uh, living in their uh, living to an old age. Of course they weren't eating Dan and yogurt here, but they were eating fermented milk, like yogurt like products. All right. You know what we're going to do, Andrew? I'm going to just do this through the speakers on my computer because I really want us to listen to this together. Um, It's, it's very, it's very rich. So stand by. In Soviet Georgia, there are two curious things about the people. A large part of their diet is yogurt, and a large number of them live past 100. <laughs> now, we're not saying that Dannon yogurt will help you live longer, but Dannon low-fat yogurt is a wholesome, natural food rich in nutrition. By the way, 89-year-old Bagrat Tapagua liked Dannon so much, he ate two cups. That pleased his mother very much. Dannon, America's number one yogurt, is here. Okay. <laughs> Amazing okay. marketing. It's too much. It's like the and the video, the the visuals. It's I can't even uh, actually. So first of all, Eli, we that's we got to get that in the show notes. I know I always say that's going to be in the show notes. But oh no no no! It's, please put it's please link in the that show notes. in the show notes. It is so in the show um, notes. What's what's rich at the end is it's showing an 89 year old man eating yogurt with a smile and he's got a papaka on oh. and his 110 year old mother is like patting his neck like good job son (laughs) (laughs) okay i mean i mean first like there would be a really great conversation about psychology and like um advertising like we're not saying that dan will help you live longer it's like okay anyway think about it how many do you think positive portrayals of the soviet union were done in the in the west and in those years i mean very few that was right at the spike of the Cold War. Yeah. And Dannon runs an ad of Soviet Georgia and Long Life with Yogurt. And it was really popular. It was a huge hit for Dannon. Yeah. That's good. Good for it. Should have been. It yeah. is. So, um, anyways, healthy. Oh, man. All, all that to say, th- this has kind of been. People have known about it a long time, and we're gonna. People are really starting to dig deeper in now. What what, what are the common causes? So, well, we need to get um, to the causes and to the keys and secrets because they do exist and they're pretty interesting. Yeah. So um, let's start with the first one. Um, these are now. These are basically the conclusions of a local ethnic ethics ethnic genetics researcher who did a documentary about old age and research Uh in the Caucasus. These were his conclusions after research, meeting, talking with, learning about these people, uh, whoever a hundred, he actually called it the centenarian rules of life. Isn't that great? Rules of life. There we go. Yeah. So the first one is the mountains. Mm. Um, in his research. So this is a, uh, a local guy. Um, I, 
I'm, I apologize. I, I'm not sure if he was Bolkor or Kabardian. He's from Kabardino-Bolkoria, but local guy from Kabardino-Bolkoria. Um, and he, he did this amazing documentary on YouTube that we're going to link in the show notes. Um, from his research, of the people over 100 years old right now in the Caucasus, 70% of them live in the mountain regions. So 30% do live in the plains. Some live in the plains, but 70% live in the mountains. And so one of, one of his conclusions was, uh, if you want to live longer, you need to move somewhere over a hundred, a thousand meters above sea level. <laughs> so <laughs> Which is, is like, is that like kind of 3,500? Yeah. Is that like sort of arbitrary, that number, do you think? Or is there actual physiological data to back that up? Or is it basically like, get up pretty high? I think, yeah, I'm not sure about how high you need to be. Um, but it's got to be mountains. Though, he was saying, yeah, and like one of the things I read was, you know, why altitude? Why does that make a difference? Yeah. For one, the air quality is better the mm-hmm. higher you go. Mm-hmm. Um, there's less pollution. The higher you get, there's less oxygen, and your body produces more red blood cells and blood vessels as a result, which is much better for your blood flow. Interesting. So, so there's sort of a, a kind of a strain or even a stress on the body at that level, which he's saying is a salub- has a salubrious effect that actually helps you, um, actually helps, helps your health. Yeah, I think so. Just from, yeah, if you're talking about your body, specifically your body and what happens internally in it, yes, it has that, it produces that kind of result. But everything flows from the mountains. This is what's great about these kind of keys. Um, so the mountains are the first one. Um, the second is diet. And by diet, does he refer to this French pastry that I'm currently eating? <laughs> Everything about that French pastry <laughs> is wrong, Eli. <laughs> I think it's all right, personally. Excuse me. You are, you are shortening your life right now. Mm, no, um, But basically, living in the mountains, um, he found that for the most part, people ate food that was grown locally in the mountains, organically, no pesticides, lots of uh, milk and cheese products, uh, fresh vegetables and fruit that they grew, of course, uh, meat from cows or lamb or whatever. Um, but essentially like this, they had really, they ate really healthily as a result. And so you're saying that that, that's contingent on the mountain living. There's a remoteness to it. In other words, that would force them, at least traditionally, into a more of a self-subsistence and therefore cleaner, more natural kind of Yeah, that diet. that's right. Cleaner, more natural. And even, you know, to even kind of go deeper into the, the diet piece, in all his research, he didn't really come across any, anybody who had lived that long, like didn't smoke or didn't, didn't drink alcohol. Like they kind of just lived healthy, ate healthy, drank healthy up there in the mountains. Um, yeah. So, and some of the interviews in that video he does, like that was some of the things, some of the centenarians said, like, I've never smoked a cigarette. Um, we just stayed away from that stuff. And so does um, he, I wonder if in the video or if any of these researchers, they must do kind of comparative studies of other high altitude populations. In other words, like what would be the second, third, fourth, fifth, most, (laughs) Yeah, you know, per, the highest per capita centenarians in the world. And are they also high altitude? Or is it the Pyrenees? Or is it the, 
you know, um, I can't think of any other mountains in the world right now, but <laughs> <laughs> Himalayas. The, the, thank you. The Himalayas. Um, the, the Andes. The Rockies yeah. or whatever. Like it'd be interesting to, to see that. I wonder if, if that exists out there. It probably does. Uh, living a high altitude, healthy for your body. Uh, that naturally produces a healthy diet you can eat in the mountains. And then the next one is an active lifestyle. Again, this 100% flows from living in the mountains. Uh, if sure. Everybody who grew up in the mountains, they're kind of constantly, you know, it's not flat. They're moving up and down constantly. It's a physical hard life as far as physical labor, uh, agricultural, working with animals, uh, bales of hay, pretty much building everything themselves. Um, and something they really found was when people quote unquote retired, like these centenarians, Mm -hmm. they didn't stop being active. Right. They, to this day, I mean, the footage in this documentary is awesome of, uh, people over a hundred being active, uh, whether it's like cooking in the kitchen or, you know, gathering hay together, whatever it is, taking walks around the neighborhood. Right. They, they, they didn't really slow down, you know? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and we, at least we. I mean, hopefully we've communicated some of this on through the podcast. But there's just images of the old lady with five times the volume of her body worth of hay on her back, <laughs> trudging uphill to her house. You know what I'm talking about, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> watching this and reading about it. I was rethinking my life up to this point. And <laughs> no, no, no. debating do i need to make some serious lifestyle changes here (laughs) exactly yeah exactly Um, but yeah it you know it really is quite amazing to watch in that video just they're just keeping on and and living their lives um so staying active that's kind of the third one this last one i want to camp out on because i think it's kind of maybe maybe not the most surprising but i think it's kind of the the key one um and it is basically living with extended family. Hmm. There were a lot of great one-liners about this, but basically this researcher said, uh, people who feel needed and loved, uh, it prolongs their life. Um, and so every single one of these people who are over a hundred in the Caucasus, they are basically surrounded by their adult children, their adult grandchildren, their great grandkids, and even their great, great grandkids. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, so like th- this was really interesting to read about. Basically a lot of the people at that age have a really positive outlook on life and are pretty joyful people because what researchers said was old age is revered and it's something they look forward to. It's not something they dread or are sad about it coming. Yep. They're excited about that, that stage of their life. That's interesting to observe the, the, the revering is not new to me, but the idea of looking forward to it, you know, right. You have, this is something that, that you are groomed with your whole life in a culture. I mean, you think about in America, how people talk about getting older from a young age, like you get the jokes that people are getting older, people stand up and introduce themselves and, and, you know, make some humorous comment about their age or not, you know, it's just like constant actually all the time in, in, if you grow gray hair, then it gets comments and, you know, and, and they're full of humor and they're full of surprise because 
and that's okay. It's not like we should not have a sense of humor about it. But the fact that they trend in the sort of negative direction, yes, it doesn't yeah. start when you're old. It actually, you've had it your whole life. You've been fed it. Yeah. There's a um, gerontology center in Kabardino-Balkoria, and they they feature them a little in this documentary. Uh-huh. But they said consistently what they've come across with the people who live the longest in the Caucasus is that they're very emotionally stable and positive about life. Their basically take on that was because they don't live alone. They, they have great value in living in multi-generational homes. Wow. Yeah. So I wonder, Andrew, I don't know if you'll get to this, but I wonder if there is a layer, maybe even unspoken, of a greater existential purpose for those multi-generational relationships because they are effectively minority mountain peoples and are themselves kind of the guardians of their culture and language in a, in a way that hmm. probably, uh, um, I mean, these are going to be generalizations, but I, I wouldn't expect to feel that way old. Like I'm carrying on the, the American culture with my grandchildren. Right. No, that's probably not what I'm going to be thinking about. But I wonder if you know that you're one of a, you know, 3000 speakers of your language, the amount of purpose that's already exists there, if that's augmented, I don't know, something to, maybe just a speculation. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one thing I noticed was the, so everything had great English subtitles, but all of the interviews with the local people, the local uh, centenarians. So that in this specific one, there were Balkars, Kabardians, and Ossetians. Okay. They all spoke in, they spoke in their native language. Now there were moments where they used Russian and they all spoke Russian. It was obvious, but- sure. They spoke in their native language. So, yeah, I do think there is some kind of sense of that, um, especially up in the mountains. Like, that's that's where the language is for sure the strongest, is kind of a bit more removed, you know, yep. from city life and a common society. Yeah, I think to piggyback on what you said, Eli, um, there was a book about published about this, Apazia, Ancients of the Caucasus by John Robbins. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen to this, this thing he said, Th- this might've been from a separate article. Maybe it was from his book, but, uh, this, this is so great. Kind of about looking forward to that stage of life. He said, if you take one lesson from the Apazians, let it be this, they truly enjoy growing old as a group, much unlike much of the rest of the world, they look forward to aging hmm. age lends them status in their community, extreme respect, and a sense of place. Even in their old age, Abhazians never att- appear to retire in the Western sense of the word and remain active participants in their community until the end of their lives. Wow. Boy, that's, that's like so much weight and power to that, isn't yeah. there? It, it makes you wonder, uh, this is, I think, one of the effects of any cross-cultural encounter and certainly study, and one of the goals is it makes you wonder, huh, like how did we get our value of retirement in the West. Like, where'd that come from? How did that grow up? You know, who said that that was the good life? I mean, I I said this in that episode about retirement in the Caucasus, but definitely this kind of area of life, more than almost anyone of living six plus years here in the Caucasus had made me like stop and reevaluate. Right. Is my kind of inherited view of this, the the best, the best approach. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I've been thinking about the good friends we have here in the Caucasus, where 
we got to know the grandparents and there are two families in particular. Uh, one's in the mountains, one's in the plains. Uh, one is a Bolkar family up in the mountains. Um, but uh, in, in recent years, both the, the grandfather and the, the grandmother passed away. But every visit we did to their home, I would say at least 50% of our interaction was with them specifically. Wow. They weren't off to the side. They, it wasn't like a, you know, you have to do the the standard greeting, then move on to talk to the everyone else, you know, sure. like they were not just, they were not just a part of the interaction. They were really like the center huh. of the interaction. We learned a lot from that family, just about like how central uh, the older generation is in the home. Yeah. So I think about them. And then uh, we have some friends not far from Pitigorsk uh, in a Kabardian village, but the grandma, she, she's around 80. Um, and, um, but like. We have good interaction with her every time we we go to their home. Yep, I, I've really kind of seen that, you know, uh, being in people's homes. It it isn't like they they really practice what they preach. There <laughs> there is no other option. I would affirm that too. I mean, I think of of uh, one of our good friends who you also know, Andrew in Pitigorsk, and the like. His mother, who is pretty elderly in every sense, she was old and fairly feeble, mm. slow, you know, um, but just her, her present, her presence and everything that we did, like we would visit them and our kids got to know her. It's, it's maybe more the, those little things you start to notice of, oh yeah, she's actually always present. And that might not be the same in, you know, how I grew up doing it, yeah. for example. And I mean, I, even thinking of, Back on this past year, we were in the States most of the year, and we lived the whole time with my parents and with my my wife's parents. And there was always a tension, I felt, if we would invite, you know, quote unquote, our friends over uh, to hang out with us, because I would selfishly want them to spend all their time with us. Right. But naturally, (laughs) we're in our parents' homes. They're going to interact with the parents, too. And like I really struggle with the sense of like feeling like it wasn't as I don't know enriched of a time because we didn't get them all to ourselves, huh. you know. But when in reality, it was actually better that everyone was involved. You know, it was more enriching to sure. have multiple generations. So, but I don't think there's that tension at all in the Caucasus. Maybe there is, but that's just so normal that you go to a person's home, you interact with all generations equally. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the test of tens? And the one-handed paper thing. So this was so interesting. Um, this researcher, they had developed a test of 10 questions ah. essentially to test the mental, mental capability and strength of people over 100. Um, and uh, like he did a test with one lady over 100 to see they would toss a ball back and forth, see if she could catch it and throw it. And he would keep getting farther away. And she just like totally killed it. She was really active. <laughs> It was like that, that, that was easy. She was laughing about it. Um, another, um, there was a, a ball car gentleman over 100. The conclusion of the researcher was he's really mentally fit. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, like, he couldn't remember when the year that world war one started, you know, it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but there were other things he did that like really showed how mentally kind of there he wasn't engaged. Wow. So yeah, he is. It's real interesting, you know, this kind of whole field of gerontology and, and studying older age. Right. Yeah. I actually, I, it's, it's interesting because obviously people grow old all over the world. Um, 
I asked some of my family members and some of my friends, you know, who grew the oldest in your family? Uh, one of my close friends in the U.S., his grandma died two years ago, but she lived to 102. She was from North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And then my mom's side of the family, two of my mom's great-grandparents lived to be over 100, and they were from Missouri. They basically lived on a farm. Like, I remember her childhood, she would go out there to the farm. They were really hardworking. You know, yep. it was a, not an easy life. Um, probably similarities with the Coxes. Her grandma, both her grandmas lived into their 90s. Yeah, and then my wife's, uh, on her dad's side of the family, my father-in-law right now is 70. Actually, he turned 71 this year, but he's the youngest of six kids. Everybody's in their 70s and 80s, and everybody's healthy and like still going strong. Yeah. So I think one thing this researcher said was heredity does play a role, but, but sure. he said, you know, you can't control your, you can't choose your parents. You can't choose kind of your hereditary uh, characteristics. So maybe that does play a role for certain families, but there are things you can control, like where you live, the diet, the lifestyle, and kind of not being alone. So right. certainly think- someone in all of your research has to have given, you know, a list of sort of magic food that we can eat. Are there any yeah. dietary tips? I mean, uh, does this sure. French pastry, if I eat it in the mountains, <laughs> will it be better? Such short-lived satisfaction, Eli. <laughs> um, here, here's a list from one of the articles I read. Fermented milk products, so um, basically yogurt-like products. Um, Iran is one we've talked about here on the show. Okay, but I have to say something about that, but my mouth is well. <laughs> Until the last 15 years, I feel like most Americans would be able to give you two fermented milk products that they'd ever heard of. Yogurt and buttermilk. Uh-huh. And I think half of them wouldn't know that buttermilk was fermented or cultured. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. And then, ah, and then it's, and then thanks to Whole Foods, the most recent trending one is in the, uh, kefir. Yeah. Yeah. Kefir, which it's too bad because I was introduced to that in Central Asia where they say kefir. And then I came home and people uh-huh. were throwing around this word kefir, which. <laughs> Anyway, like grates on the ears. But one of the things you notice, we mentioned this, but when you come to the Caucasus, there is a panoply of of different fermented things. Yeah. At least two, three, four yeah. main and, and here's my here's my my thing about that. That they might they taste pretty similar. They're all sort of yogurt y, right? But they are actually right, different. Right. They are different <clears throat> strains of bugs, of bacteria in there. That make these. Hmm. That's that's what makes them different. They have different sources, and so kefir versus we've got iran, and there's multiple kinds of iran. There's matsoni. There's yogurt. Hmm. I, I know there are more. I don't know all the names, but I mean within each within each nationality, often there is their own kind of kefir-like drink. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So I just wonder um, if having a diversity of microorganisms, even within the bubble of fermented milk, of having diversity within that is an important Mm. factor. I'm pretty Mm. sure it is. Well, and that comes back to the mountains again, because where does that come from? Cows and milk or cows and goats, you know? Um, yeah. So cheese is the second one that everybody mentioned. There's a lot of different kinds of cheese. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, one, one article said, in the Caucasus, they don't have as many kinds of cheese as the French, but they love their cheese as much as the French. <laughs> um, That's true. Yeah. So fermented milk, cheese, 
uh, corn-based products, uh, corn. corn-based food. Yeah, that's that's more in the plains. Like you see that all over the plains here, um, and especially it's among Kabardian dishes. Corn is very much a like kind of central component. Um, and then meat. You know, we've talked about that a lot, but greens and vegetables. So a lot of fresh vegetables, and then greens. Walnuts was one on this list of how very popular that is. here. Yeah. Fresh fruits and honey instead of like artificially made sweets. Mm-hmm. And then one that one that was mentioned, um, I would say you see this in certain parts of the Caucasus, not all parts, but wine. Yeah. Uh, I know wine is really produced in Assetia, uh, kind of the, the plains of Dagestan. Um, I know up towards uh, Sochi among kind of old Circassian lands as well. But sure. yeah, so those are. Well, Those are some of the I, jo- I joke with people being in Dagestan, where obviously a lot of people don't drink alcohol for religious reasons. The only place I was ever served wine was in a mountain village. Ah, interesting. And it was homemade. Gotcha. Yeah. Listeners, I would really encourage you, if you have never looked at our show notes, this is the episode to do it. The way um, you do that, if you're on your, on your device and you're looking at the podcast, just just scroll up. And it'll it'll swipe up and it'll scroll. The notes will just automatically come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll have that YouTube documentary linked. That that is a fascinating watch. Forty five minutes. Uh, please watch that. We'll have that Danon commu- uh, commercial linked um, <laughs> from YouTube. And then there's a couple good good articles as kind of supplements we can link as well. But yeah, long live long live the North Caucasus and long live the centenarians in the North Caucasus. And long live Caucasus talk. <laughs> I feel like Eli, I feel like we should do like a, a toast right now uh towards the centenarians in the North Caucasus. I lift all I can lift is my tea and my pastry. But I lift it to I them. Have my coffee mug. All right. We salute Health, you. Zdarovye, Shastye. <laughs> dolga jitilnest is that a noun? Long life? Dolga dolga jitia, maybe. Yeah. yeah, dolga jitia. All right. If if you made it this far, listeners, I want to know who our oldest listener is yep. to this podcast. Yes, and we will salute you. We will give you a shout out, and I might make empty promises even beyond that. <laughs> and if you are a centenarian listening, if we can get a centenarian to write in, we, I mean, wow. we truly will send you something, a papaha or something. <laughs> the Cultures of the World Dagestan book oh, with our reference. Yes, <laughs> that's what we'll do. And we'll sign it. Because <laughs> that's what most centenarians need right now in life. Uh, I'm so excited. That, that, that should be our, our go-to gift for people. That's Eli. it from now on. Not, not the authors signing it, us signing Forget it. Forget the authors. In the no, back good job, a- authors. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, don't forget to leave us some uh, some feedback on uh, whatever platform you listen on. We really appreciate every comment and every rating. Get in touch with us. And we're open to more suggestions. And thank you for listening. And we want you to come hang with some centenarians yourself. So we will see you when you get here.